Amen. Well, we're, we're going to continue on in our series we've been in for uh, the past few weeks, where we've been focusing on the last week of Jesus' life. Like I told you, like the gospel writers spend a disproportionate amount of time focusing on really just about eight days in Jesus' life, starting at Sunday um, of that last week, which we know is Palm Sunday, leading up all the way to Easter on Easter Sunday. And so we've uh, covered three days so far. Uh, which has been exciting. I hope y'all have heard from you all. You've learned some things, and it's been really neat to see kind of how the story of that last week progresses. Um, We have covered Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And what we see over the course of these three days in Jesus' life is we really see a pattern, and what I see is really an increasing conflict with the political and religious authorities. Jesus was out in public all three days in Jerusalem, the, the, really the capital city, the, the place where the political and religious power was prevalent, where it was centered right there, right around the temple. And Jesus was out in public all three days. And he was not behaving uh, like your average pilgrim in the holy city for Passover. Let me give you a recap. So on Sunday, he staged a dramatic entry into Jerusalem riding on a colt, drawing attention to himself as this coming king, this coming Messiah. And he was really showing a very different example of what a king would be, really in direct, direct opposition to Caesar and his kingship in Rome. Any talk of a new king would be of a great concern for the Roman authorities, right? Particularly during that volatile week of Passover. The religious authorities were also likely very concerned about what Jesus was doing because they probably would not have wanted any additional drama because any additional drama, any uproar, any crowds acting in unusual ways could mean that Rome might come down hard on them and their people. And so Sunday, dramatic entry into Jerusalem. Then he retreats to Bethany for the night and he goes back into Jerusalem for a second day. Now on Monday... He went straight to the temple, and he carried out a public direct action in protest of the temple authorities and all the ways that they had been hurting people there in Israel. He turned over tables, he blocked the flow of traffic, and then he called the temple a den of robbers. So naturally, the Jewish authorities who were there in charge of the temple They got even more angry with Jesus because they did not like this, that he came into their space and was acting in this very bold and disruptive way. And so they began on Monday looking for a way to seize him and put a stop to his actions. So that was Monday. He again retreats back to Bethany, which is a suburb of Jerusalem, and he enters Jerusalem again for a third time. Now, Even after all the drama on Sunday and Monday, all the conflict that was already starting to bubble up with the authorities, he went right back to the center of all the festivities. Jesus was very bold, very courageous guy. I don't know if I would have done it. But he went to the temple courts, and he began to stand up and publicly speak. And he was teaching the crowds out in the temple courts. And there were lots of people, because it was the Passover week, 
There was the festival that was approaching. People from all over the surrounding area had come there to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. And so he was standing up and teaching the crowds, drawing lots of attention and interest. The Jerusalem authorities, they sent their best and brightest to try to go and challenge Jesus, um, to embarrass Jesus, and maybe even try to turn the crowds against Jesus or trap him into saying something incriminating. Though Jesus was too clever, he was too smart, and they couldn't get him to fold. Jesus even then called out the religious authorities, the scribes in particular, accusing them of devouring widows' houses. He said to them that, uh, that basically they had been hurting these widows, and he said, watch out for them. They will receive their punishment. And then he drew attention to a poor widow who went to the temple treasury, put in her two coins, all that she had, and he drew attention to her, really to bring to light what the scribes had been doing, how they had been hurting widows just like this woman who went to the temple. And then Jesus did something perhaps even more bold than anything before, he prophesied that the temple would soon be destroyed. So you can imagine that the authorities in Jerusalem, particularly the religious authorities at this point, were very upset. And their resolve to take care of this Jesus problem and put a stop to what he was doing, it intensified and it got to kind of a breaking. By the end of Tuesday, they knew that Jesus had to go. However, the Jerusalem authorities had a problem. They wanted to arrest Jesus, but they felt like that it was too dangerous to do this out in public in broad daylight because Jesus was actually very well liked by a lot of the crowds. Jesus grew a crowd. People liked what he was teaching. They thought he was a pretty interesting guy. Jesus was out there among the people. And so your average folks there, the Jewish folks, were actually pretty, uh, a lot of them liked Jesus. It seems like he was fairly popular among the people. They liked his vision of a different world where everything would kind of get flipped upside down. And so the authorities were likely nervous, and it says many times in these last few days that they wanted to arrest Jesus, but they didn't out of fear of the crowds. And so they wanted to arrest Jesus, but they were worried that there could be a riot, that there could be chaos, and maybe even potential violence. And they didn't want that because if that happened in the Roman Empire, they were already, the Roman Empire was already nervous during Passover week. And if there's a riot, if there's an uprising because they arrested Jesus, this popular teacher, the Romans probably would not take kindly to that. And that could disrupt the relationship that these religious authorities had with the political authorities. And so they were very nervous. They were in a predicament. They wanted to arrest Jesus, but they had this predicament. And so which brings us to Wednesday. So let's read the first few verses from Wednesday. Mark chapter 14 verses 1 through 2, and we've been using Mark exclusively as we've been moving through it because Mark lays it out really clearly which days are which, and he's really making a point to highlight what happens on every single day throughout this week. And so this starts Wednesday. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priest and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Now the Passover celebration was approaching, which meant the festival would end soon, which also meant 
that Jesus might be leaving the city at the end of the Passover celebration. And so they wanted to arrest him, but they felt like they couldn't do it during the festival because the people might riot. And so it almost seems like they've kind of like given up in a way. They're like, we wanted to do this, but I don't know if it's going to work because we can't do it now because it might cause some issues. So maybe they had lost their chance to take Jesus by force while he was traveling in Jerusalem. Now, it also seems like they didn't know where Jesus actually was. If they knew where Jesus was staying, they could have gone to him under the veil of night and arrested him, and the crowds may have not even known it would happen, right? They could have done it in secret. It seems that Jesus and his followers at this point had kind of gone underground. The situation had become too dangerous, and they needed to lay low for a minute. And so what would the authorities do? Would they just give up? Would they just let, let it move on and look for a different opportunity down the road? What were they going to do? How were they going to arrest Jesus without provoking the crowds? Well, on Wednesday, we find the answer to their problem. What they needed was someone on the inside. They needed a traitor. They needed someone who knew where Jesus was going to be, who knew where he was going to be staying, that could help them to turn Jesus over to them at the moment that would be appropriate to avoid getting the crowds all riled up about it. And so we found their answer. We skip to Mark. I'm going to skip to Mark chapter 14, 10 through 11, and then we'll look at the whole passage. But here's their answer. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. And so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And so they found their answer, right? Judas, one of the twelve. Mark is very intentional to keep saying, when he mentions Judas' name, he almost always says, one of the twelve. He's pointing out that Mark was one of Jesus' closest people, and he chose to give him up. He was one of his best friends, and Judas decided he was going to betray his teacher. Now, I wonder, did you all realize that Holy Week was full of, like, conspiracy and traitors and political violence and protest and bribery and drama? You know, I, I'm not sure I understood how much of this was going on until, like, I really started studying this. There was a sinister plot to take Jesus' life that had been developing for the first half of the week. Darkness was, like, hovering over Jerusalem. Something awful was about to happen. And it's really interesting, the story of Wednesday and Mark, because in the midst of this sinister plot to take Jesus' life, Mark tells a very almost random story about love and devotion. He tells this story about this woman who comes to Jesus and pours this perfume on his head, this beautiful act of love and devotion in the midst of this time of sinister darkness and betrayal and violence. The contrast couldn't be more profound. Why does Mark tell a story like this in his betrayal or his portrayal of Jesus' last week? Let's read it. It's Mark chapter 14, 1 through 11. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priest and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, where the people may riot. 
While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor will always, or the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. And so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So Jesus was staying in Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem, in the home of a man named Simon the leper. Now I just want to, this is not directly related to the story, but one thing I want to point out is one of Mark's predominant themes throughout the whole gospel is crossing boundaries. Even the Sea of Galilee is viewed as a boundary. When he crosses the Sea of Galilee, he usually goes into Gentile territory. Jesus was about crossing boundaries to reach out to people that were often not reached out to by the folks in that community back then. And so Jesus was always trying to cross these boundaries that we create in our world. I saw a, 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 a kind of a cartoon that this guy does um, that I think they're always so clever, but there was an a, a image of G, or a guy drawing lines with a, a pencil, and he's trying to draw these lines, and it was Jesus coming behind with an eraser, erasing all the lines that the guy was drawing, the religious guy was drawing. This is who Jesus was. He crossed boundaries. The walls that we put up to separate one another, Jesus crossed those intentionally. And I love that he's doing this even all the way up to the end of his life. He's still consistently including and reaching out to those pushed to the margins. Mark makes it clear where Jesus was staying. And he didn't just say he's staying at a guy named Simon's house. He wanted it to be known that it was Simon the leper. Because lepers were often not included, were often pushed aside, were often told that you have to stay separate. This could have been a leper Jesus healed, or perhaps not. But Jesus was staying in this man's home. This shows who Jesus really was. And while in the home of Simon, this unnamed woman comes into the home, and she breaks open a jar of really expensive perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' head. Now, some of the people in the house were angry, and they weren't angry because she poured perfume on his head. That was not an inappropriate thing to anoint Jesus. They were angry because they thought that she was wasting this expensive perfume. They're like, we could have used this for something else, something more important. However, Jesus was honored by the experience and honored this woman as a result. And he even said that this woman is going to be remembered for what she did for Jesus. Now, what is going on here? Why was Jesus so impacted by this moment? Why did Mark decide to include this story of devotion and love in the midst of all the sinister plotting and darkness? Well, I believe this story is here 
and for, for a reason. I think one of the reasons is to serve as a contrast, really a stark contrast, to show the reader what true discipleship really looks like. Another common theme for Mark, and this is all throughout the Gospel of Mark, is the failure of the disciples. If you read through the Gospel of Mark, he is harder on the disciples than any of the other Gospel writers. Mark does not spare any of it. He's like, he's going to show painfully how, how painfully, terribly, awfully they messed up over and over and over again. And Judas really is the most serious example of the failure of the disciples. And we, we hear about Judas in this passage. And so one thing that happens in the Gospel of Mark is three times Jesus predicts that he is going to be arrested, that he is going to suffer, and he's going to die And then three days later, he will rise again. Mark arranges his gospel really around these three predictions. And you can go and find them. They're all very similar. But Jesus tells them, this is going to happen to me. And every single time, Mark is clear that the disciples did not believe Jesus. And so every single time Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again, they did not believe it. And at times, people like Peter spoke up and said, Jesus, stop talking like that. And Jesus is like, no, it's got to happen. They could not accept that their Lord and their Master and their Messiah would get arrested, that he would suffer, and he would die. They would not accept that. That was not part of their plan. That was not part of their plan. You know, we don't know why Judas betrayed Jesus. Um, may have had something to do with money. It could have had probably multiple layers when you get to that point where you're willing to betray someone like that. There's probably more than just one reason, right? There were probably a lot of things that have been building for Judas over a lot of time to get him to that point where he would sell Jesus out. But perhaps one of those reasons was that he realized Jesus was not going to be who he wanted Jesus to be. The disciples failed to believe and to trust that what Jesus said was going to happen would actually happen. Yet, In the very last week of Jesus' life, when things started to get really bad, we meet this unnamed woman in Mark who anointed Jesus' body for burial. The disciples couldn't accept that Jesus would suffer and die, yet this woman was willing to accept that. She trusted that what Jesus said would actually come to pass, and she trusted that His way was the best way, So much so that she came to Jesus knowing full and well what was coming up for him and gave him an extravagant gift to show honor and praise to him in his final moments, knowing good and well that this suffering and this death was coming to him. I mean, as I think about that, like, that's a really good friend. (laughs) She believed Jesus. She trusted Jesus. She gave to Jesus. And she was willing to sit with Jesus in his most difficult moment, as he awaited all the darkness and suffering and loneliness that was coming his way. We often don't like to sit with one another in the dark moments, right? The disciples did not want to sit with Jesus in this moment and could not even accept that it would even happen. Yet this woman believed, and she trusted, and she went to Jesus and showed him that kind of love and devotion in his final moments. One could argue, and they have, That this woman is the first true believer in Mark. The first person in Mark's gospel to believe in the cross and trust in the way of Jesus. 
Jesus' disciples really messed up at the end of his life. Judas clearly messed up worse than the others, giving up Jesus to the authorities in exchange for some cash. Peter, he denied he knew Jesus three times in a row in Jesus' darkest moment. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray on Thursday night, which we'll look at next week. And on Thursday, he said, can y'all stay up with me while I pray? In my darkest moment, it's about to get bad. And they all fell asleep. None of them except one of the disciples were there at the cross when Jesus was crucified. They scattered out of fear. They didn't even believe Jesus when he told them that all this was going to happen to him. They really messed up, right? These disciples messed up big time. But honestly, like as I've thought about it this week, I can't be all that hard on the disciples. I mean, when you put yourself in their shoes, they were in a really hard spot. They had their hopes and their dreams for their own lives, right? And they had hopes and dreams for their families, for their community, even for their nation. And they believed that Jesus was the answer to all their hopes and dreams. They gave up their lives to follow this guy. They could not accept that he would endure suffering and die. That was not part of the plan, though. And I understand, I wouldn't want that to happen either if I was in their shoes. They were willing to accept so much of Jesus' mission and his values, even his countercultural way of living in this world, but they couldn't accept that he had to suffer and would willingly give his life for God's purposes in this world. You know, I was, I was thinking about this passage. I was trying to think about what I wanted to say about it. I'm like, well, what's it saying to me? And, and I can see myself in the woman in this story and also in the disciples in this story. You know, thinking about the disciples in this story, sometimes I lose trust in Jesus when things get hard. Do you ever struggle to trust God when things get hard in your life? Sometimes when things don't go my way or the world seems to be falling apart or when I'm hurt or afraid or lonely, I can pull away from Jesus. Sometimes the way of Jesus, frankly, just doesn't seem to work in this world. It doesn't seem to matter in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't seem to make any difference in my life or in the world around me. At times, I can get caught up in the lure of material things and money and comfort, and I focus on meeting all my needs and my desires instead of thinking about other people. I can understand why the disciples denied Jesus, why they fell asleep, and even that they sold him out for some cash. Can y'all relate it all to the disciples in this story? I mean, how many times have we pulled away or we failed to trust when things in our lives are not going the way that we think they should? Though at the same time, I, I, I can see myself in the woman who anointed Jesus. Because I've been through a lot of tragedy. I've been through loss. I've been through a lot of struggle in the past few years. And I'm trying my hardest to hold on to Jesus in the midst of all of it. And sometimes I'm barely holding on, right? But I'm trying to hold on to Jesus. I'm trying to trust Jesus in his message, in his way, even as I walk through dark times. This woman in the story was committed to the way of Jesus, even when it didn't make much sense, even when it was uncomfortable, even when it probably seemed foolish. She trusted Jesus and was willing to go all the way with him, even to his death. And I think her beautiful story of devotion and trust, it stands out in the midst of one of the darkest weeks in the history of our world. 
her commitment to Jesus in the midst of a, these dark, sinister times, I think is, it gives me hope. It's a source of light for me in the midst of darkness. And it gives me hope that we too can stay committed to Jesus in the dark, sinister times in which we live today, right? This woman is an example of what true discipleship looks like. Jesus said her story would be remembered and told throughout the world. And so we are telling it today. Wednesday was a dark, dark day. It was a hard day. It was the day before uh, Jesus was arrested in the garden. I imagine there was a lot of stress. There was a lot of anxiety in that home in Bethany. But it was also a hopeful day. Because this woman brought some light and some goodness and some love into the midst of a really dark and hard time. She understood the gospel and she trusted in Jesus. And I think as we make choices in our lives to trust Jesus and to hold on to him in the midst of our dark, sinister times, we can bring some light and some hope. And it can serve as a a wonderful contrast to all the darkness and pain and hatred that we see all around us each and every day. And so let's follow her example and cling to Jesus in the midst of the challenges that we face now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.